It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Good afternoon. A warm welcome to you from all of us here at AusBiz. This is The Call. Ten companies picked by you, two expert guests, one hour, Tuesday, the 23rd of August. Here with me for the full hour is Mark Moreland from Team Invest and Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. But before we get to the companies picked by you, I'd like to start with the stock of the day, which is Center Group. It released its half yearly results, profits jumping almost 20% to around $480 million. Revenue also on the up as well, as is its share price today, putting on more than 3% so far. So to get the detail, not just about what has happened, but what's still to come in the second half, we're joined by the CEO, Elliot Rossenau. Thank you, Elliot, for joining us. Really appreciate your time today. Um, Thank you, Megan. Look, you're at the coal phase of so much there at Center Group, you know, consumer spending, inflationary impacts, rising interest rates as well. So maybe you could just talk to us about some of those things through the first half. Yeah, we're really pleased with the result today. Um, as you said, our, our profit was up 18.3%. Uh, um, we're guiding for a full-year profit increase of uh, over 14.2%. Uh, and we've seen all our operating metrics uh, perform very well over the six-month period. Occupancy increased by 30 basis points to 98.8% occupied, and we see that trajectory continuing. We did 1,579 leasing deals during the half. Uh, on average, our leasing spreads have improved significantly from a year ago to minus 3.9%. But uh, we saw our rent escalations of uh, positive 5.6% for the half year. And our leases are generally tied to CPI. So we're, we are an inflation hedge and we're seeing the benefits of that. And that's flowing through to the profit numbers that we announced today and the guidance that we're giving for the full year. Yeah, Elliot, and I should say uh, guidance has been provided for the remainder of the year, I think for the first time. Um, Macquarie, for one, has flagged that it looks as if you're guiding for a softer second half. Why? I think that the so the starting point is that uh, guidance uh, for distribution was provided at the uh, beginning of the year in February. Uh, at that time, we know that, that it was still a volatile environment with respect to a number of uncertainties, particularly with respect to the pandemic uh, and also the capital markets. And as we've progressed through the year, uh, as we've seen our cash flow remain very strong, uh, cash has exceeded our, our uh, profit uh, in every period since June of 2020 and continues to do so. Our cash collections remain very strong and we've seen that continue in July. We're in a better position to provide that guidance for, for the year, but the guidance was effect, in effect a baseline. So we're going to guiding our profit for the full year to be above 19 cents. Um, some of the factors that still remain unknown are the uh, is the impact of uh, the rising interest rate environment or the volatile interest rate environment. Um, but having said that, we have uh, moved to uh, mitigate a number of those uh, risks uh, by increasing our hedging for the remainder of this year, uh, increasing our hedging for next year uh, and the following years. And so we're trying to uh, mitigate as much as we can 
noting that we still have a number of months in the year to go. Our leases are generally tied to inflation, so there is a, a little bit of an unknown with regards to uh, how much they'll escalate by as we get, progress through the remainder of the year. We do have an objective of increasing our occupancy, which we're on track to do, um, but we're providing a baseline for guidance, and uh, you know it's something that we hope to uh, achieve or be a, a, certainly above that. Mm -hmm. Got it. And, and from where you sit, Elliot, and what you're hearing from your tenants, sales are still strong, are they? Yeah, in fact, the sales growth has accelerated in the um, in the second quarter of this year. So, uh, you know, specialty sales uh, for our, for the majority of uh, our our space users, is, which is the specialty stores, uh, increased by thirteen percent compared to pre-pandemic levels in June of twenty nineteen. As the comparator, um, and for the six month period, that was eight percent. So you can see the acceleration to the thirteen percent number for the whole portfolio in total sales increased by almost eleven percent in that second quarter uh, and seven percent for the six month period and so what we're seeing is that um, sales uh, being achieved by our business partners who take space with us are actually uh, growing at a greater rate than inflation which means that um, they're, they're you know we are the most profitable and efficient platform for their businesses to interact with the customer now, where is your real focus? And I should have corrected myself. I believe you're CEO officially on October the 1st. So technically right, right now still CFO. Um, where is your real focus? Where are you going to bring this business when you take over October the 1st? I mean, you've got a pretty strong legacy from uh, Peter Allen to build on. Yeah, that's right. Peter has uh, led the business to a really strong position and today's results reflect the strength of that and uh, that momentum continues. Um, you know, we've, we've articulated our growth ambition, which is effectively to be essential to people, their communities and businesses that seek to interact with them. And that really follows on from our strategy of creating places that more people choose to come to more often and for longer. And so in effect, the growth for us is uh, we're competing for people's time and how do we capture more of people's time and uh, and just to put some context around some numbers uh, related to that, uh, our portfolio is in close proximity to 20 million people. On average, 10 million people visit our, one of our centres once a week. So if we can increase that number to the 20 million that live in close proximity, well, that's huge growth in and of itself. And the other part is that the 20 million people is in the context of the two markets, Australia and New Zealand, that we operate in with a population of 31 million people and hopefully growing. And our ambition is to be in closer proximity to that total population. So if we can grow the 10 to the 20 and the 20 to the 31, that's a huge growth. Uh, opportunity for us as a business and uh, that's what I intend to pursue with our, with our team um, and yeah we have the industry's leading team and uh, we're, we we have a well aligned articulated strategy and ambition uh, a lot of energy to pursue it and a lot of momentum to be able to pursue it well Elliot you make it sound easy thank you so much for joining us today we really appreciate your time and uh, yeah we'll speak to you next time as CEO officially thanks for your time thank today. you Thank you very much. Have a good day. There's this incoming CEO of Vest Center Group there joining us live. I'll get back to my guests, Mark Moreland from Team Invest, and we've got Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool on the line. Mark, I'll start with you because you're sitting right beside me. Uh, a center group as an investment prospect for you. 
Uh, no, um, it's not one that's sort of come across our, uh, our radar, mainly because it has quite low return on equity and return on capital, so it's below our minimums. Um, its debt's a bit higher for us as well, but I mean, the report was very was very good. For me, the, the area I would be concerned about is the uh, cap rate, the calculations of the property values increasing, because um, like REITs as well, it, it mm-hmm. ends up being, the revaluation of properties ends up being quite a large part of what the profitability of the business and of course with interest rates going up we don't know where they're going to go you could have a situation where the evaluations actually come down uh, and if that if that's the case then that will come in as a negative on their um, on their earnings so it doesn't mean it will but it's definitely a, um, a risk as rates uh, uh, if, if rates go up much more so but look it's, it's okay um, and the result the result was good we're showing it pretty mediocre performance so from a uh, return point of view even with their positive update. What was really pleasing about that update though was that the sales of the specialty shops are above inflation rate and so on. Because yeah. one of my, if I was going to ask him a question, I would have asked what, uh, what the, the ability of their stores to, to stand these increases in rent. Mm-hmm. You know, so how much capacity is there? But if their sales are going up and they're running a good business, that would sound like that's pretty good. Yeah, and their leases are CPI linked, their sales are strong linked, mm-hmm. and their releasing spreads have improved. So mm-hmm. Scott Phillips, on those three metrics, it sounds as if there is some resiliency built into this company, even as in, uh, interest rates rise. Yeah, a little bit, Nadine and Mark, I, I think SN is a really tough one. I am not particularly bullish on the long-term future of physical retail. So if I'm a long-term investor, and I am, and I'm looking out that period of time and saying, where does the structural growth come from? I think it's a challenge. But I will say, I think Centre, and particularly the Westfield brand, of course, it is their business, is at the very, very top end, the best end of physical retail. You've got one end, you've got the suburban neighbourhood shops, grow through a a coffee or, or a bottle of milk or to go to Woolies or you're going to go have a day out go to a Westfield go to a, an event cinema at Westfield or something or go and you know meet your friends or do whatever do some window shopping have a day out the stuff in between is the, is the retail I'm really worried about so Centre is the good end of that mm-hmm. um, it, it's, a, it's a reasonable set of results and, and I think they should be pretty happy with it we're not going to get clear comps until this time next year on a, a, a I won't say post-COVID because we're not out of COVID but a, a, a new normal I hate the term but let's go with it a new normal a set of retail results because we're looking at year-on-year numbers where this time last year there were still issues. Um, we heard from Star Casino, I know we'll talk about that later, uh, only yesterday or the day before saying 102 days um, of, of impact because of COVID last year. So when you start to do those comparisons, it's a very, very difficult thing to get a clean set of numbers. But look, a fair business uh, doing as well as it can at the better end of retail if you're going to be in that space. Uh, 14 times earnings, not particularly expensive, 4% dividend yield, pretty attractive for those who want that. So I wouldn't be running away from this one. I don't think it's likely to be a market beater from here. I don't think retail just has that compound growth ahead of it. Um, So you've got that challenge of how do you keep up with what I expect to be a faster growing economy when structurally, physical retailers are going to probably lose share to online mm-hmm. retail for what I think is probably years to come. Yeah, perhaps not Kogan right now. Anyhow, we'll leave that one there. Let's get to the companies that we're covering today. Hub24, which reported today, Premier Investments, Tyro, Linus, and Reliance Worldwide. It updated the market yesterday. So let's get stuck in. And the first stock of the day picked by you, Bryn, is Hub24. Shares up 1% off the back of its results. I'm going to be speaking with the CEO in just about an hour's time. Um, Look, Scott, difficult half for market-linked businesses, you've got to say, but this managed to beat consensus. So what is, uh, what's your view on Hub24? 
This is such a challenging sector, Nadine, because you've got a whole lot of things going on at the same time. You've got innovation and growth from these guys. And if you want to think about it, there's not retail is actually not a, a terrible way to think about this in terms of an analogy because these new breed wealth platforms are the ones who are innovating and taking share from the old guard, usually bank or financial planner linked um, administration platforms. And so you kind of got this new wave coming through. So you've got structural growth uh, coming from taking share of the incumbents. You then, as you said, got that market link challenge. And then you've also got a lot of, uh, uh, frankly, <laughs> mergers and acquisitions in this space. There were too many of these players, as is often the case. Think about buy now, pay later. Everyone wants it on the game. All of a sudden, they realize they can't all get sufficient scale to be to be useful. So then you start to have this you know, consolidation phase go on. So Hub's kind of dealing with all that. Hub is the leader in this space, doing a really, really nice job of growing. So the results were, I think, pretty good. Beating consensus is a bit of a double-edged sword. If the consensus is low enough, it's easy to beat. If it's too high, you still have a great result and miss the numbers. So I don't necessarily love looking at that as a comparable, a comparable metric. But... The business itself doing reasonably well in the circumstances because, and it should, it's picking up lots of market share from the competitors. Now, that gets harder the bigger you get. Uh, the earlier gains are easier. It's hard to get upfront, mm-hmm. you know, prove yourself, establish a brand, establish credibility in such an important space. Then you go through that kind of Goldilocks phase where you're getting some reasonable, reasonably good growth. Now, from 1% share to 2% share, you're doubling your market share. So- if you get from 10 to 11, you're only getting 10% more. So it's a harder and harder game as you continue to consolidate. And, and, and price, is it, uh, is it well-priced for the growth on offer? Would you be buying it today, Scott? Yeah, that's the one I worry about, mate. So it's 54 times earnings at the moment. I think that's just too much. You need to assume too much goes right from here to justify that level of, of valuation. It may well go right, and maybe the business goes, goes fantastically well and everything's great. Um, but you have to assume a lot. You have to believe a lot continues to go right. As I said, because of that, as you get bigger, the same quantum of growth is simply harder to capture. So I, I like the business. I think it's done a really good job of growing. It's proven out its model, so that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to buy it at half the price, but I'm not going to buy it at today's price. Mark uh, Moreland from Team Invest, you've always got a question for CEOs up your sleeve. What would you want to know from <laughs> Hub24 CEO, Andrew Alcock? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, I think I'd ask him about the competitive situation with their yeah. competitors and how they how they see their how they how they're comparing with them and so on because that's a it is actually I agree with everything that um, uh, that uh, uh, was just covered but it, was, but it really was Scott said but the the price is yeah, we're showing it 60 p trailing mm-hmm. uh, for a CPS growth rate that's just right at the absurd end or really it assumes very high growth rate um, also the other problem they've got a return on equity and return on capital below 10 percent which sort of means from a point of view, a business like this, which is a low capital business, it should have much, much higher return on equity. So from our point of view, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be interested in it. Interestingly, from conscious investors' calculations, we're showing a on a margin of safety return of negative 1% a year over the next five years, and on our default settings, 25% per year. So in other words, that's a massive disparity. And the reason is it's being discounted down significantly because at the end of the day, return on equity becomes more like a speed limit on what, you, what the business can return to you. Over time, because it's what the return the business is getting, and they're either paying that in dividends ultimately or reinvesting in the business. So, so mm-hmm. it's hard to see how 50 or 60 PE is in the realm of uh, anything being reasonable. Okay, so, so that's an avoid. Yep, have Got to be it. a lot cheaper. All right, Premier Investments is next on the list. This one is for Dean. Mark Moreland, I'll start with you because to Centre Group's point, some of these specialty re- retailers are still doing really well. And Premier has a little niche going in a few different categories. So where do you see the likes of Premier headed when we consider we're likely to have a slowing consumer? 
Um, well, Premier uh, it actually looks quite good. This is Solly Lou's group, mm -hmm. and it's, remember, it's a lot of they've got a lot of very good brands, Just Jeans and Nodies, a whole Nodies, a whole, whole range of brands, and it's an international business as well. The other thing I like about Premier, and I'm not an investor in it, is that they own 28% of Breville Group, and we do like uh, we like Breville um, as a business as well. So it's an interesting argument. You can actually buy, you can invest into Breville via uh, Premier on a much lower PE in Premier, which is 13 versus Breville's which is a lot higher than that. So that's interesting. Um, we're showing it, it has all very good metrics, so it passes everything on our numbers. We're showing it returning about 9% a year on a margin of safety and over 20 on default, which is good. Uh, I don't share the view that retail is going to, go, going to go backwards. Most of the good retailers now, and I think Premier Investments is one of those, um, all have their online businesses as well, mm. and they're all growing with the market. So I'm, I, we're still positive on retail, um, but I would rather I would rather invest directly in it, like in a Premier Investment or an AX1 or something, than I would say buying a centre group, which is mm -hmm. another way of, of playing. So is uh, this a buy? Retail. Is this a buy? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think, Are I think. you buying, holding, or selling Premier Investments? Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. We've had a discussion just recently about how, you know, it's been uh, pretty difficult mm. for a lot of retailers. It, it has, but I agree with Mark entirely. You've got broad retail, and then you've got online retail within that. Some of the, some of the, the I call it omni-channel. I don't love the buzzword terms, but omni-channel retailers that have a physical store and an online presence, you've almost got to be in both places these days, of course. Um, they're doing a really, really spectacularly good job. JB Hi-Fi's numbers were great. Even Harvey Norman. Jerry, uh, famously late to online commerce. Those online sales at Harvey Norman are up strongly. I own shares in Harvey, for the record. Um, I don't own shares in Premier, but I like it a lot for all the reasons Mark's highlighted. Solly Lou is a genius retailer. Um, the price is pretty attractive, 14 and a half odd times earnings, according to my numbers. Um, that's a very, very attractive price to buy what I think is probably the most underrated, very probably the best retailer, if not one of the very best, one of the top two or three, probably the most underrated because no one talks about it. We all talk about JB or Harvey or somebody else. Um, the reality is Premier is just getting it done year after year after you have a fantastic track record. So I like the business a lot. It's a hold for us at the moment, but I have to say it's one that's getting very, very close to buy territory right now. Probably worth the review. So um, I, I will say officially it's a hold, uh, but, I, but it really is one of those companies that you look at the price and go, hang on, maybe we should be a little more, uh, give it a little more room given the track record, given the opportunity, given the global opportunity, as Mark's already mentioned as well, the multi-brand strategy, the, the benefits they're mm -hmm. getting from Smiggle and Peter Alexander. By the way, too, not having a middleman for their brands is always good, but particularly in an inflationary environment, the fewer steps in the in the supply chain, uh, the better off you probably are to control prices. They still have cost inflation, of course, but there's fewer bits in that chain. So it's always good, but probably particularly good during this sort of time. I think okay. they'll do a very good job of managing price and, and delivering profit as a result. Got it. Next on the list is Tyro for Josh. Wondering if we can cover it because while it's still unprofitable, it's recently had a bit of a leg up in terms of share price appreciation. But I mean, it has been a very poor performer as of late. So will it continue to get uh, sold off with the tech downtrend following the market? Or is there something more company specific in your view that has led to some of the weakness we've seen in Tyro, Scott. So this is a challenging one. Uh, I, I like Tyro to buy for us, uh, but it's a speculative buy because of the circumstances you've already talked about. It's been absolutely trash share price-wise because the business itself isn't growing as fast as investors wanted, but more to the point, it's still not profitable. And there's nothing worse than being a profitable fintech company right now or a, a technology company in general 
um, just really struggling to get the market support and attention because there are real concerns. What does it mean for the cost of funding? Can they raise cash if they need it? Are they going to get to break even? And this is a massive business. So Tyro, of course, provides uh, FPOS terminals, uh, is the kind of core business for Tyro. It's a very, very, very expensive business to run, and it's all about scale. I'm talking about scale and the billions of dollars worth of transactions. So if you're going to play this game, you have to set your sights very, very high, and you've got to do everything you can to try and get there. I don't think the share price decline has much to do with the business itself. As I said, probably underperformed expectations to some degree, so maybe some of it's about that. It's more about the broad market sentiment that anything I don't like a little bit, I hate a lot. It's kind of the way the market's thinking about these things right now. We've seen that right through earnings season. This was already on the nose, of course, as that chart showed before that. So I think this is a business that has really good legs. It is getting really good uh, business momentum. Uh, I think this is one that will be able to turn itself profitable. And I do think in hindsight, we'll look back and say, wow, we kind of left this one for dead and it wasn't that bad. So it's a buy for me. It does require patience. It is going to be higher risk because there is a scenario under which this one mm-hmm. runs out of money or simply can't make a, make a name for itself, make a place for itself. But if and when, I think it's when, it gets to scale, I think we'll look back at a sub $1 price point and say it was very, very cheap. Got it. Now, Mark, what about for you at um, Team Investors? Uh, well, it's an interesting business. And I, I was involved. I knew I was, uh, one of the uh, founders was a good friend of mine and tried to get me to invest in it right at the beginning. And I, I didn't. I probably wish I had. Because yeah, you could have <laughs> but, made money. But you would have had been very patient and had deep pockets because there was quite a few calls on putting money in. Anyway, it's it's. I didn't think it would survive at the time. And the reason I didn't think it would survive is they were coming into a deregulated market for payments mm-hmm. with the banks. And the, they used to have a mandated interchange fee between the bank and the merchant mm-hmm. and so on. That got canned by the Reserve Bank and pushed down yeah. at the time they came into the market. So they were coming into a, a market where the banks used to charge heaps yeah. and then it got squeezed right down. So now you're in a really really low price environment. How do you make money in that? Well, it's difficult. And they're losing, they lost 20 million last year. So they haven't, I would have thought they, they've only been listed for three years, mm-hmm. so to be fair. But the business was going for a long time before that. Um, and they're a bank now. They've got a full banking license and are providing banking services uh, to their merchant clients, which all sort of makes sense. But it's a tough area because, as Scott said, there's a lot of capital and there's a lot of ongoing um, investment into their platforms as well because they have their own multi-currency platform. Mm-hmm. It's all very good. Um, but it's, it's difficult. And they're not they're they're struggling so uh, to me it's uninvestable because really you're looking at it as being i'm investing on the basis that i believe they'll get it right and it'll be worth more down the road we don't do that we look at we need to say what are the numbers now what is it doing and is that going to be sustainable or improve and then i can value it mm-hmm. okay so that's uninvestable in team invest yes. eyes let's get to linus this one is for kelly so is this going to be short and sweet for you, Mark, because you don't really like the miners, um, even when they're in battery and new materials? No, no, it's not, that's not fair. I, it's not that they don't like miners. Uh, we, As an we, we, it, There are some miners we don't like, there's no doubt about that. Um, we tend not to spend a lot of time on them, because largely because they're price takers. That's the problem. The commodities are market driven, and you, you can be a low cost provider within that. But the challenge is you have a limited control on what your profitability is, a lot of, the, a lot of it it's actually what happens in the market. Now, Linus is in a sexy area yep. with the you know, so-called rare earths. rare earths, which aren't that rare earths we know, but yep. they're dirty and they're nasty. And you know, they've had plenty of challenges. However, their earnings have jumped up um, quite uh, significantly of late and the share price has gone for a, a uh, pretty big run, I think, hasn't it, for the, yep. last, uh, yep, over the last couple of years? So they were about 30 cents or something, and now they're up to $9 over the last few years, you know, when they went from losing a lot of money. But they are profitable now. So if I just look at it purely as a um, as a business, uh, forget what they do. 
Um, the return looks pretty good, although the stability is poor, which you've got to say you'd expect the stability of earnings for miners, and particularly in an area where they're establishing themselves like Linus is, to be... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to control for the reasons we said. So it passes on all our other filters apart from stability, which it fails on. And the returns look pretty good. Return on equity is 14.5, which is good. Uh, EPS growth rate's running at 60%, which is excellent. Uh, very little debt. So on all the metrics, it looks pretty good, and they have a tailwind. And they've got the US government uh, yep. supporting them as well, haven't they, with... Uh, um, well, they're looking to diversify yeah, their yeah, yeah. Over the, uh, into the US. Over so, critical look, minerals. It's not a, it's not a team invest type of company, but yeah. it actually looks pretty good. So it's a buy, not for you. No. <laughs> okay. Uh. It's never confusing with team invest. Okay, let's get to <laughs> Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool. Buy, hold, sell, Linus. To Mark's point, you know, it's got a lot of tailwinds in its favor. Share price though mm. has had quite a run, so I know that we've got to can take that into consideration. How much more upside is there in Linus when you consider how the world has changed? is changing, will continue to change. And those are three really good points to make because that's kind of the way you need to think about Linus Nadine. And the challenge, I think, is you do have the operational reality and then the price, a bit like you asked me about, about Hub24. Uh, Linus has done everything it can that can be expected of it uh, to operate as well as and efficiently as possible and take advantage of higher prices. So that's been a really, really good result for the miner. And that's, you know, look, no, no bones about it. Similar with BHP, when the commodity price is hot, if you've done your work, if you've set yourself up properly, if you can take advantage of those good news uh, days, weeks, months, years, then, then go for it. And so that's kind of what they've done. The challenge moving forward, I think, is both the operations themselves when it comes, sorry, the, the results, I should say, when it comes to the price of the commodity. So there's that. And that is kind of the past, present, future question you asked, because there is a lot in the price of the commodity and the share price that talks to things like geopolitical risk and opportunity. Uh, you know, does uh, China continue to be a pariah when it comes to rare earths? Does Linus continue to be one of the very, very few suppliers of choice outside mainland China that people like, or companies like, or countries, should say, like the US, say, hey, you're now strategically important to us. We will give you lots of work. We want to create this, um, uh, you know, strategic asset rather than a financial one. And Linus may well benefit hugely from that. And if it does, if it continues to grow sales and share, if it continues to do it profitably, and frankly charge a relatively monopoly price because it's one of the only ex-China providers, then it's in a really, really nice spot. If it doesn't, then it's very different. And again, the share price, I think, on top of that, assumes most of the first case and not much of the latter. So if I was going to put a risk reward against this one, it feels like a lot of the good news is already priced in. It doesn't mean it can't go higher. It doesn't mean it can't go higher for a lot longer. It doesn't mean more good news won't come. But if you're looking at businesses like this and saying, on on balance, I've got the risks over here, the potential future returns, not the past returns, they're gone. The future returns over here, does it go much higher? Do circumstances change geopolitically even more significantly and for long enough? And does the price stay high enough? And those ifs again start to compound pretty quickly. So I don't love mining companies generally either as investments for the reason Mark's talked about, but also, and and most particularly, I tend to, if I'm gonna play the game, I wanna play it counter cyclically. That is, I wanna buy them when the prices are low, not high, when investor sentiment is low, not high, uh, because you maximize your chance of an upside and you minimize the downside potential. I think the, the odds are kind of flipped at the moment. So I would say there's more downside risk. It may not come to pass, but there's more downside risk than potential upside reward. I'd be selling this. Sell. Thank you for that, Scott. Now let's get to Reliance Worldwide. This is for Lucas. No context as to whether he already owns it or is looking to sell, but we did speak with the CEO, Heath. Um, 
Heath, uh, yesterday, I've just forgotten his last name for a second, his surname. Um, he's sharp. There you go. He said, and it stuck out to me that he said it, it, we're preparing for battle again in 2023. I mean, COVID, lockdowns, uh, input prices rising. Um, they're talking about the inflationary pressures continuing, um, but also they've, you know, they've performed quite well through through the cycle. Um, I note today that a lot of the brokers have come out in the wake of the result, cutting price target, downgraded to hold by Morgans. But a lot of the brokers as well saying that it has a few levers it can pull to offset a weak market, I think housing market in the United States. And uh, yeah, Morgan Stanley saying that it looks like the stock sell-off has been a bit overdone in the wake of its report. Scott, did you read the report? What do you think of this company? So I, I did read the report. I, I want to like Reliance. It was a rec buy recommendation of ours back in 2019. It's been a hold for the last couple of years. And frankly, it's gone nowhere during that time. So we probably got that one roughly right, but it wasn't much fun because uh, we're looking for stocks to beat the market. Of course, not just you know, go nowhere. Um, I think we're up about 3% over three years, which is obviously not, not enough to, to write home about. Uh, better than loss, but, but not great. The, the challenge for Reliance, I think, is operational execution or Maybe it's just the market reality. But the simple fact is they're not getting the sales momentum, the sales growth that they had suggested to the market was possible. They made an acquisition, of course, back in, I want to say 2020, 2020 maybe, uh, maybe 21. Again, the COVID years kind of blur um, in the UK, trying to get more strings to its bow. Hard to say that's been particularly successful. And so you have this business kind of trod water for uh, five years, share price-wise, gone really almost exactly nowhere. It's a really tough space to be for a business like this when you're hoping for their shark bite product was supposed to be revolutionary it was supposed to take lots of market share that's the line that we thought was reasonable and we kind of backed the company on that basis i don't see evidence that it's actually happened yes COVID's happened in between maybe in a different world in a different universe without COVID, they are meaningfully larger than they are now and maybe that's still to come maybe the next year or two does show some promise that's why we've kind of tentatively kept it on hold for a while now, patience is probably wearing thin, and this set of results doesn't help, as you say, other brokers cutting price targets. I think that's probably reasonable. Uh, the reasons to believe continue to, to fade away. Um, as I said, maybe Sharkbite eventually uh, takes hold, if I, can, uh, if I can use a terrible pun there. Uh, maybe it doesn't, but the new technology around plumbing supplies was supposed to be their silver bullet. It's just not happening. Uh, and if the market doesn't want it or doesn't want it in large enough quantities at a fast enough uptake, this investment will be a bust. So I, I don't think I'd necessarily run out and sell it right now. You've gone nowhere in the past few years. So it's nothing to write home about, as I said. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't be buying it until we see absolute evidence of traction in that market that we haven't yet seen, I don't think. What do you think, Mark, about Reliance Worldwide, uh, RWC? That's, uh, that's it. That was interesting. Um, Scott, Just I learned more about it than I knew. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's actually not a bad, uh, it's not a bad business. It, it's in a difficult space in plumbing and so on. And all the things Scott said mm. are all valid, of course. Even if they have the new technology or the new products, it doesn't mean that it automatically follows through that that ends up being earnings for the company. It, obviously, there's costs, there's all the execution risks, as um, Scott mentioned as well. On all the numbers, it actually looks pretty good. We're showing it returning about 9.3% on a margin of safety at the current uh, price. That was before the drop today. Um, so uh, it's cheaper now than it was. So it actually looks from our, and I don't know the business in detail, but just looking at all the numbers on all our metrics is actually uh, sort of passes everything except for return on capital. Other than that, it looks pretty good. Its EPS growth is still 18% average from our point of view over six years growth. So it's been steps, but it's still going the right way. So we haven't invested in it and it's not one that we've ever looked at in 
detail. Okay, so you wouldn't be going there now. There's no reason no, to. No, but it's, it's not bad. Yeah. Okay. If, if the person has it already, I would probably say I'd hold it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd call it that. Got it. Thank you. All right, let's just uh, get, let the guys wet their whistles. I'll summarize what we've learned so far. Uh, on Center Group, we spoke with the CFO, incoming CEO, Elliot Rochneau, and uh, it's a no in terms of investment for both of my guests. But, you know, they do say that it's got a pretty good niche in the market. It's just uh, for Mark, you know, concerns over sales and inflation. And um, yeah, for, for Scott, it's just um, not going to kick the ball out of the park, I think. So Hub24 is a hold for Scott Phillips, and it's an avoid for Mark Moreland. And when we get to Premier Investments, it's a buy for Mark because he likes the brands. It has a good online business. It's done well. Um, look, Scott says that it's one of the best retailers out there. That's price is attractive. He likes it a lot. It's a hold right now at Motley Fools, but um, maybe under review. It's looking a little bit more like a buy. Speaking of a buy, Tyro is a specky buy for Scott Phillips. It's not profitable. You will need patience, but he does think that there is a good business going forward. Mark says it's uninvestable, so a real difference of opinion when it comes to Tyro. Very tough business uh, to make money, Mark says. At Linus, it's not a buy for Mark Moreland or the guys at Team Invest, but he does see that there is um, you know, some tailwinds really behind Linus and this whole rare earths phenomenon. Uh, it's a sell though for Scott Phillips. So again, you've got a real differing of opinion from these guys. He doesn't love mining companies either. He would prefer to invest in these companies out of cycle. So there's just uh, too many people piling into this rare earths story in a nutshell for Scott. And you've just heard them talking about Reliance Worldwide. It is a hold for both of my guests if you're already in it. Okay, I think that's a pretty good summary of what we've learned so far at High Conviction Fund that we are really putting together here with our investment committee. None of our, yeah, none of these companies are going to be put to it. Uh, checking in on the portfolio, we had Autonate removed heading into August, which is a bit of a shame because it's just had about a 20% share price appreciation in the wake of its result. Yep. 20% today, pretty much. Oz Minerals was added as well. Uh, Woodside Holding was up. And so far, the fund is up about 3.2% on a cumulative return basis since inception. I'm sorry, on March the 1st, I've got marbles in my mouth today. Uh, so please keep sending in your requests. Mark's on the investment committee. And keep the call switched on to see which companies we will be putting forth next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while. And although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. National Storage REIT is coming up. NSR, that's for Sarah. We've got Adore Beauty. That's an interesting one for Ollie. PWR Holdings for Vince. Star Entertainment for Sophie. And I know Scott Phillips was referencing its result yesterday. So there you go. And we've got Bank of Queensland for Alana coming up in the next 20 minutes or so. Scott, I'm going to start with you. National Storage REIT. So again, a beaten up sector of the market. Uh, inflation risks in terms of uh, what potential, potentially debt will cost. Um, but is it also sort of a little bit of a safe play, a bit of a defensive play when you're thinking about yield, et cetera? 
That's a great question, Nadine. I think, you know, I have a, I have a slight issue with, with the concept of safety as some in our industry often use it. Uh, it's not, not the point figures at anybody. Just if we think about safe, we kind of think, oh, Woolworths is safe, right? And it is. But the share price still halved from 40 bucks to about 20 bucks uh, in 2016. Uh, there's plenty of so-called safe industries that can be overvalued because share prices just get carried away because too many people buy them assuming there's safety there. So when you talk about safety as an investment, you need to talk about two things. The safety of the business, of the reliability of earnings, and then the price you're paying because even the safest business can still give you a loss of 20, 30, 40, 50% if you buy it at too high a price. And so you've got to do, kind of put both those things in, in the conversation at the same time. Yes, safe business, national storage. I think, frankly, more and more of us are collecting more and more stuff. Um, it is something that in theory, people might start to cut if we do in, in ec difficult economic times, um, paying a couple hundred bucks a month for uh, you know a, a shed or garage door down the, down the street. Um, when I just throw the stuff out and save some money, that's going to be harder, I think, to justify. So there is a bit of a potential uh, cyclical headwind, even if we don't end up in the, the R word recession, just generally, if you're paying more interest rates, you're looking for savings, it does feel to me like you cut Netflix or do you, you know, pull stuff out of storage, you probably pull stuff out of storage, quite honestly. So there is a bit of a risk there, I would say. Broadly speaking, though, I do like the business. It seems to be reasonably well run. They're doing a nice job of growing. The business model is super, super simple, very easy to understand. Uh, it's, they're charging a, effectively rent, uh, rent plus, uh, their own rent uh, plus for the people who are using it. And again, when you can fractionalize that sort of stuff, we see that in so many parts of the world, um, even back to Megaport, for those who follow Megaport, when you fractionalize access to something, you could charge a lot more than if you had to pay the whole thing up front. If you add it all together, they're making a nice margin on that. So I like the business. Two things, the first is, if you're a REIT of any sort, getting growth is effectively rental dollar value growth. Whatever more you can charge for the thing you're doing this year, next year, you're gonna make a bit more money on. And that's fine, but that's probably not gonna be market market beating type increases. You can't charge people six or 7% more per annum for very long periods of time to store their stuff in a storage shed. So there's just a, a structural mm -hmm. challenge there for the business. If you use leverage, you can juice it. That's one way it gets done. But of course, we've all been around long enough to remember Centro and others during the GFC, and we're going into a time, as you've already mentioned, of higher interest rates. So you've mm -hmm. got that combination of you can't put price up too fast. You take on leverage, you're meaningfully increasing the risk of the business. So again, at the right price, fine. Right now, numbers I've got 26 times earnings. That's a lot to pay for a plain vanilla REIT, which this one kind of is. Yeah, there's some development costs. Yeah, they're going to mm -hmm. try and grow by acquisition. But again, if you grow by acquisition, you do it with debt or you do it with equity. So I, I, I like the business operations. I like what they're doing. Uh, can't see a real problem with the, the fundamental operations themselves. They don't tend to be good or great when it comes to returns on shareholders' equity or invested capital, and at the current price, just way too expensive. So you're going to be avoiding that one. Buy, hold, sell for you, I Mark. Will. <laughs> uh, uh, I'd have to say sell. Um, and the reason is, if you look at their earnings over the over the last nine years that's been listed, they lost money every year up until 22. So the eight cent, 8.9 cents uh, profit they made is the first profit in a decade. And as Scott said, it's on a very high PE based on a growth rate which of earnings, which is, well, there's no growth rate really of earnings because it's only just had one year of profit. But if you look at sales, um, the actual revenue of the business, that's got a six-year average of negative 3%. So it's actually, uh, it's, the business isn't growing uh, in that respect. Now, maybe going forward it will, but there's no way there's enough data, useful data there to be able to come up with anything that would 
would be able to predict what a return might be. Yeah, all right, so that's a sell. Let's get to Adore Beauty. Mark, um, this one has been a real painful trade for those who got in at listing. There are those who are still really big believers in the business, you know, they think that it's sticky, that once you start buying from Adore, you get into this great community and you know, you're gonna keep buying. And then there's the other camp that says, all you're doing is searching for the best price on Google. Why would you continue going to Adore? What do you think? Um, I don't think it's as simple as shopping the best price on Google anymore because I think our retailers have caught up. It's like the old Amazon threat. Remember Amazon was going to wipe out all our retailers and they all crashed when they came in and now all of the good retailers are absolutely competitive with Amazon. Um, so I think that's true. I think approaching a market like beauty purely online is a big ask because we talked about omnichannel before but the reality is uh, the, the ability to be able to buy from a brand or someone you trust or know that has you can buy online or go into the store or whatever pick it up I think is the is the future that's what where it's going even Amazon are opening bookstores in the US after killing the industry and going online they're now opening bookstores so because they recognize that a lot of people like sitting there and having a coffee and reading books okay so so I think it, it, they're in a tough area of the market and I read a bit about them and they've got like a thousand brands it's a complex complex logistic or stock situation to run it as well but if you just look at the numbers for getting the story <clears throat> it's only been listed for two years which is uh, already one full year mm-hmm. um, and they made a, a nine uh, point point nine of a cent profit and then their trailing 12 months is negative four cents so that's not good so if you look at the return on equity, that was 2.5 uh, before, which is yeah, woeful. Um, and it's online only, as I said. So there's no way I could say that I would be willing to take a punt on this because that's what you'd be doing. And then there's other very good operators, like we've talked about even with Premier Investments, where you can get a decent return with much lower risk. Too risky for you, Scott, because again, early days, share price has not performed well. Uh, you know, did it have a pandemic tailwinds behind it? And you know, a great, uh, you know, a great launch. You could uh, say that there was a lot of enthusiasm for the brand itself. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be putting your money, your hard earned, into this one? So it turns out, I actually already have put my heart into this one. I'm a shareholder of Adore Beauty for full disclosure, and it is a recommendation of ours. I do think it's a buy. Um, And ironically, not because I disagree with anything Mark said, just because of a different expectation or uh, risk tolerance in terms of the way I'm approaching this particular investment as part of, as we always should say, a diversified portfolio. Okay, so just let me pause for a second because I will get emails. Did you buy in at uh, listing? (laughs) No, no, not. Okay. I bought it. I bought in since. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have I had nothing to do with the listing. Was not involved at all. Bought on market. Yeah. Uh, I recommend it to our members first before I bought. So yeah. nothing. No. No. No, uh, no. Well, I've got a very clear skin in the game because I own yeah. the shares, but okay. nothing more. Than that. Okay. So Adore Beauty for me is a business that, and I think Mark, Mark's absolutely right. Where I think there's a couple of differences between his view and mine, and he may be entirely right, by the way, is uh, firstly, and this is not necessarily even a disagreement to his view, but I think if you think about retail broadly, you can be a niche player and still be very, very successful. Do I think everyone's gonna buy beauty online? Absolutely not. Are some people gonna to go to Google when they do buy online and buy at the cheapest price? Absolutely. Will some people buy it at all because they like the brand, the delivery, the service, everything else? Yes, because we know even in physical retail, not everyone's buying the toaster at the cheapest price and everyone's buying the book at the cheapest price, even though it's out there and available. Either they're lazy, they don't want to, it's convenient for a million different reasons. Otherwise, there'd only be one retailer of everything in every in every suburb, right, or every every city. So I think there's a room, there's room for this business. There is opportunity for Adore to continue to grow. And this, I think it's actually growing quite nicely. The question is, can it grow fast enough and to a large enough size to be consistently profitable? And can that level of profit justify the current price? 
Those are really, really good questions and no one's got the absolute answer. That's what makes it riskier. If you buy Woolies, you're saying, okay, I know how much money it's making, I know how much I'm paying for it. We can quibble about the, the rate of growth for the next five or seven years and put a number on it. If you're buying something that's not profitable, it's early stage growth, trying to find a way in, in the world, then it's very, very hard to value. I could well be, have overpaid for a door, maybe it's even still too expensive right now. My sense is if it can continue to grow over uh, the, the medium term, then that compound growth itself will take it to scale. That takes it to levels of profit that I think are justified by the current share price. So it's absolutely not a no-brainer. It's not the bottom draw stock. It's not a widow's and orphan stock. It's one for those who are prepared to believe that the growth story will play out. And if it does, there is meaningful amounts of profit available there to justify the current price. That's been my view for well, since I owned it. That's why I bought it. That's why I recommended it. So uh, know that if you're going to make an investment in a door, but I do think at the current price, there is a good chance you end up making money and beating the market because I do think it's going to be able to continue to grow to scale. Got it. Thank you. Well, that makes the market when you have disagreement, doesn't it? Now let's go to PWR <laughs> Holdings for Vince. He specifically says, can you ask Team Invest what they think of the company, <clears throat> PWR Holdings? He's been holding it for the last two years and has done quite well out of the company. So buy, hold, sell. Um, difficult uh, to just sum it up as that. It's actually a company we have looked at in the past. It's never got up, uh, but uh, it actually is a good company. It's got very solid earnings. Uh, EPS growth rate's about 9.5% with very, very high stability and earning and sales are growing at about 12% a year average. Um, and it's grown consistently without a very small downturn during COVID, but nothing, nothing much. And it's now back on the same trajectory. 23% return on equity, which you've got to like. Uh, I don't think it's got any debt or very very little debt. Um, there's only one problem with it, and that is the PE ratio. It's at the very very top of the red for us, which is the top of the bottom top quartile, and it's a 61 uh, times earnings trailing. Now the problem is this is a good company. It, it's in it's in the um, um, parts automotive and, car yeah. parts for yeah, performance and turbochargers and all that sort of stuff. So niche. It's a niche. Yeah. Part, it's a niche player, and that's fine. And mm-hmm. niche players can be good, and it's a good stable niche player. It's a good business. It's just way, way too expensive. So when I say way too expensive, to get a 10% return on this, we're showing it being uh, earning you 0.1 of 1% per year for the next five years on our default settings, which is the more generous ones, because the price is too high. So it passes everything. However, if you wanted to get a 10% return, which I, I wouldn't invest in anything that I didn't think I was going to get at least 10, uh, I couldn't pay more than uh, $5.98. So it's currently Nine. $9. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it needs to halve just about. Okay. So I think based on what the caller asked, um, I'm not. We're not into trading, mm-hmm. and you know we don't uh, want to try and say the PE is really high, the price is high. You should sell it, then buy it back cheaper. But unless you know something <clears throat> about the business where the earnings are going to jump dramatically, which it's hard to imagine. You could argue this is a, a sell because the market exuberance is way over the top for what the earnings are. So take are. profits, essentially. You could take profits, yeah. yeah. I hate that word. Another way, sure. though. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, Scott, what do you think? Yeah, echo everything Mark said about the business. Uh, a couple of our guys that thought really love PWR, and it's kind of because of the opportunities that, that exist in the business. So motorsport in particular, uh, cooling units, generally speaking. So think about uh, coolers for, for sports cars, for four-wheel drives, that kind of stuff. But it's their new business division that is really growing like gangbusters. And to Mark's point, if you're bullish on this one, your view at that end of that, of that process is, well, 
and it will continue to grow because this new business, which actually is growing really fast, will continue to be the, the, the story of the future. And it is trying to get into things like electric vehicles, uh, trying to find make uh, cooling products for a whole lot of different commercial and industrial applications. So it's again, it's one of those ones you either take on faith or you don't. As Mark said, the business itself operating really, really nicely, uh, strong returns, the, the management doing a fantastic job. So you look at all that and say, well, What's not to like? And again, as Mark said, the answer is probably the price if, if you're going to do that. Um, I'm going to stick with the team. I'm going to say it's, again, another speculative buy. Um, it is one that you have to give it some rope if you believe in it. Um, it has been really volatile. To Mark's point, um, and even Ed Vesely, one of our analysts who, who loves this stock, says, you know, it, it's one of those ones that it does drop meaningfully every 12 months or so. So there may well be other times to get better prices potentially or maybe we send the end of it. You know, I'm not someone who necessarily says that's the past, so it's going to be the same in the future. Uh, but if you do get a cheaper price, you, you probably do want to look at this one really seriously because that growth rate has been excellent of that new business division in particular. One of the things that often is hidden value in these sort of companies is if a small part of the company is growing really quickly, and if that growth can continue for a while, it does two things. Firstly, it becomes a larger and larger chunk of that business over time. So you've got the, the fastest growing bit becoming larger, which is good. And what that does tend to do then is it turbocharges the overall business growth mm -hmm. because a 10% bit of business growth at 50%, if that can become a 50% bit of the business growing at 50%, it adds a whole lot more to the rest of the company. So that would be the bull case if you want to go with it. Um, as I said, it, I agree with Mark, it's a very, very expensive price. I don't love the price at all. Uh, but uh, as I said, the guys, the guys are pretty keen on, on it at the full. Uh, I'll back their judgment, cause one a speculative buy. But it's going to be a volatile ride share price-wise. So if you're a short-termer, mm -hmm. don't assume the price can only go up. You may well have a rocky ride on the way through. There you go, Vince. I hope that helped you. Let's get to Star Entertainment Group for Sophie and Scott. I will remain with you because you did reference it earlier. More selling, further selling, I should say, today off the back of yesterday's selling when it released its report. You know, regulatory risk still hangs over Star. Um, is that enough to put you off or are you more uh, positive considering we're seeing plenty of people still crossing the threshold of these casinos? Yeah, I, I struggle to be a single type of investor, Nadine. So as much as I just talked about a couple of speculative buyers, I, there's also something, something deep value inside me and something contrarian. If I look at something like Star and think everyone hates this thing and yet it has the only casino licenses in a couple of the largest cities in the country. We've gone through a year where they've had massive write-downs. They wrote down the Sydney casino by $160 million. They reported a $32 million underlying loss, but they said 100 days of the year were impacted by COVID. Fast forward that and say, hang on, is it, isn't it just possible that the market is basically putting all the bad news and all, no one's thinking positively about it. Um, the time to buy, was it um, Temple Loose, the time to buy is when there's blood on the streets. Uh, we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, it's not quite that right now for Star, but you can't find anyone to say anything nice about Star anywhere. And rightly so, it's been an absolute debacle. The investigation in Queensland is whether or not they uh, are fit to hold a license there. Again, the company itself wrote down the Sydney Casino citing, and I quote, regulatory and other uncertainties, end quote. So you say, well, what do they know? What do they think? Or what are they expecting? Uh, you don't know. And it's a really, really tough one. The value hand in me wants to say, maybe there's value. If everyone's hating on it, maybe there's something there. I can't quite bring myself to do it. I have to say, if I owned it right now, I wouldn't be rushing to sell it. Um, it doesn't seem overly expensive on a normalized earnings basis post-COVID, but nor, does it, nor is it cheap at all. Uh, particularly with those uncertainties. And just because there's so many skeletons that keep coming out of the closet, you kind of think the casino inquiries are done, there's nothing else to come. And then there was a report they underpaid $9 mm -hmm. million dollars in taxes. There's links allegedly with a with the Chinese organized crime group and the Brisbane development. Uh, you know, they really can't, they stop tripping over their own feet. So I wouldn't sell it if I owned it as long as I had a reasonably long-term view. 
I just can't buy it right now, even though I kind of want to. I want to like it for the cheapness uh, and for the opportunity, but I think it's one you just want to watch from the sidelines if you don't own it. If you do, you're probably already holding your nose. Keep holding your nose and, and let it do its thing. Got it. Thank you. All right. What do you think of Star Entertainment Group? You had a couple of chuckles there, Mark. <laughs> well, it, 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 it peaked out in 2017. So if you look at the, if you look at the business from the 13, 2013 to 2017, it was growing nicely. Look really, look, look quite, uh, quite good. The share price in those days uh, was went from four dollars up to six thirty. The highs and the lows went from two seventy up to four dollars. So you, you say well, that's all good, you know, very investable. And then it was, since been, since then it's been all downhill. So it's not just COVID. This has been a long time uh, where the <clears throat> earnings have been dropping, sales even sales have been dropping, which is revenue, gambling revenue. Not to mention all the debacle that uh, uh, Scott was talking about as well. So the share price is now two dollars seventy seven. Uh, which is about half of what it was uh, in this year in the trailing 12 months. So it's been slammed, and Scott may well be right that you know it, if you if you bring its earnings back to what it was in 2017, then it's cheap. But it really is such a disaster. Uh, I wouldn't be backing them. I wouldn't back them anyway because I don't like casinos. Yes. So yeah. even that, I, it, it's out on that basis. Even if it was a, even if it was good, our members wouldn't touch it obviously because it doesn't have anything resembling uh, consistent predictable returns. But our members tend to fail things that again gambling based anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. All right. Everybody's got their um, <clears throat> investment style, thesis and the like. And I was wondering on behalf of Alana, of course, Alana, thanks for watching. And don't forget, this is not uh, tailored to your personal circumstances. This is information only. Alana, though, would like to know about the Bank of Queensland, BOQ. Talk to us about the sort of metrics and the filters, Mark, because, um, you know, so many Australians hold the big banks in yeah. some way, shape or form. And many are, are asking about, you know, exposure to the regional stories. Yeah, well, the banks are difficult. Um, we used to like banks. In fact, we do like banks. It's, it's not we're anti-banks. Uh, it's a cycle, cyclical issue. You want to buy the banks at the bottom of the cycle. Like in 2008, yeah. banks were a bargain. I bought Macquarie at the time for $14 or something. And it was, oh, good you know, for you. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I didn't keep it. I sold it in the 50s. I should have kept it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. but, but look, the point is, the banks are tip, at the moment on high PEs and there's a bit of an expectation in the market that because interest rates are going up, the banks will make a bigger mm -hmm. spread and they make more money. The corollary to that is that as rates go up, then potential uh, stress goes up and then you start getting provisions. So there's a trade-off there. It's very, very hard to predict. The big four banks have significant advantages over the regional banks these days. And a lot of that was in 2018 with changes in how they capitalised and so on. Uh, if you look at Bank of Queensland, uh, we're showing a negative 1% a year over the next five years on our default metrics, even though the PE is in the bottom quartile, it's 9.9, .9, which is a lot more a lot more reasonable PE than CBA and uh, the other banks are all, uh, they're all higher. Um, however, their earnings are in decline, so that we've got an earnings rate of negative 7% a year over the last six years. So if you look at their earnings, they sort of peaked out back in 2015 at 90 cents a share, and right now they are 71 cents a share. Now this is, not, this is pretty typical for the banks. This is a little bit worse than the big banks, but the bottom line is earnings have been flat, then down, and they're flat, down. So they're not going up. But if earnings, if the, if the bank doesn't have any earnings growth, how are you going to get a better return unless you're buying it at such a 
low PE that you're going to get PE expansion or something like that. So what we like to see is uh, growth underpinned by earnings, not PE expansion. And because it's showing a negative return, um, it sort of passes that filters. Return on equity is only 6%, which is poor. And that, that's reflected in the, the fundamentals of the business. So uh, I'd avoid it. Okay, got it. So that is a no for Bank of yep. Queensland coming from Mark Moreland at Team Invest. Scott Phillips, what do you think? I struggle with BOQ, and not not because of the reasons that Mark's mentioned. But if you look at the look at the current price, it's trading at nine times earnings, while CBA is at eighteen times mm. earnings. You're literally buying every dollar of earnings for half the price if you buy BOQ mm. than if you buy in Commonwealth. Now. CBA's done a spectacular job. The earnings it put out recently were nothing short of astonishing. Um, growing the growing the loan book, growing business lending in in a in a flat market where the big four really own the market, as Mark said. If you can grow at double digits, you're doing something very, very, very good. Um, so you know, uh, all, all credit to them. I don't own shares. I've never owned shares. I'm not a massive fan of the banks either, to be fair, um, as investments at the current price. But CBA's done a great job. Still, double the price per dollar of earnings for CBA compared to BOQ? Question mark. Second thing is BOQ is price to book value. So the price of the business based on the compared to the assets it holds, 0.73 times. You're buying BOQ for less than the assets on the book. There's an old banking saying, you buy it less than one times, you sell it two times, book. Um, whether that necessarily holds true is an open question. But in any case, less than book value is really, really cheap. So you look at BOQ and think, you know, what does it have to do? Now, Mark's answer part of that, if it can't grow, then nine times earnings probably still uh, not good enough. Maybe it can grow, maybe it can't. And again, because of that structural imbalance, and frankly, I'm not a big fan of the regional um, uh, concentration. I don't love that most of this business is actually based in Queensland itself, not all, but most of it, because if you have a, a localised issue, the national banks just have a diversification that the local guys don't have, whether it's Bending on Adelaide, whether it's my state in Tasmania, BOQ in Queensland. So it's a really, really tough one to try and pull back. I would bet that if you bought enough banks at nine times earnings and, and three quarters of book value, you do pretty well. The problem is we're not being given a basket here, we're being given one stock and someone says, is BOQ the one or is it the exception? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm gonna call it a buy uh, on, on probability basis. I don't think it's a guaranteed success. And again, if you're doing this, make sure you buy a basket of similar type companies or similar type opportunities because you've got to let the odds play out. Coin has a chance of 50-50 heads or tails, but if you toss it once, you get 100% heads or 100% tails, you don't get 50-50 play out. So be mindful of that. Make sure you play the game enough times to get the, the odds in your full return, uh, what they actually should offer. But I do think at nine times, single digit earnings and, and three quarters of book value, more often than not, a bank bought at those numbers would do pretty well for you, even if the roads are a little bit rocky on the way through. So put me down as a cautious buy, um, but with that massive caveat around it that, again, I was talking about a basket of similar type companies would do well. BOQ, if you're going to play that game, would be one of those, and I would happily add it to that sort of basket. Uh, but I wouldn't want to guarantee that that is the winner of that basket. Okay, well, you know, I couldn't take notes fast enough, but I've put you down as a cautious <laughs> buy. <laughs> okay. Deal. All right, that was number 10 on the list. So let's go back to number six, where this uh, part of the show began. National Storage, REIT, Sarah, it's an avoid, it's a sell. For Mark Moreland from Team Invest. Let's get to Adore Beauty. It is a risky buy for Scott Phillips. He owns it. He did not pay top price for it, uh, but he's looking at it through a medium-term lens. Uh, Mark would avoid it. Too tough complex logistically um, not for him PWR holdings the price is too high for Mark so you could look to lighten to sell to take some of those profits uh, because it's just uh, just 
too expensively priced, but you might want to look at it if it uh, was cheaper because it's a good company. And Scott Phillips agrees. He says, of course, you'd rather get this at a cheaper price. He's going to call it a specy buy right now, partially because the team at Motley Fool loves it so much. Uh, Star Entertainment Group, um, Scott wants to be a contrarian on this one, but he just can't buy it right now. He said, watch and wait. It's out on multiple fronts for Mark Moreland. He wouldn't buy it. Okay, Bank of Queensland, no upside. Mark would avoid it. And you just heard Scott Phillips talking about why and how you would want to be a cautious buyer of Bank of Queensland. That is the show for the today. It, uh, it went by very quickly. Guys, thank you so much. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Nice to see you. Nice to have a chat. Um, yeah, Thanks we'll speak that. soon. And Mark Moreland from Team Invest. That was thank good you, as Dan. always. Thank good you. Fun. Nice to see you in studio. And we are going to take a very short break before the small caps. I'll be speaking with the CEO of Hub24. Also, I'll be speaking with the CEO of Equity Trustees. If you would like us to cover a company, you can email us, the call at ausbiz.com.au, and you can tweet to Ausbiz TV. Stay with us.